This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Lots of football talk coming up later today. Andrew Kramer joins me in a few minutes here, breaking down film of that Vikings game on Thursday over the Steelers and spinning it forward a little bit to next Monday night against the Bears. Some concerning numbers about Kirk Cousins in that game against the Steelers under pressure. Had been pretty good. Under pressure this season certainly was not against the Steelers, and somehow, some way, the Vikings not only made that game close um, after having that big lead, but did manage to win a game with bad Kirk Cousins, probably for the first time all season. Also, we'll do my least favorite team is my favorite team. Three haikus, no, I'm sorry, three limericks and a haiku this week. So the poetry keeps flowing as the team keeps riding that roller coaster. But first, what did I miss? It is starting to look a lot like 2020 everywhere you go, especially when we're talking about COVID and talking about sports. And that is not a good thing because we lived a nightmare a season ago, a year ago in a lot of these sports and in life in general. And you're seeing a lot of COVID headlines sparking back up. I want to run through some of them and the impact of all of it. So here we go. NBA expecting an uptick in COVID in January post-holiday, sending a memo kind of going to enhance some of their protocols. They just had to postpone Two Bulls games because a lot of Chicago players are in the protocols as well. So NBA having to take some pretty significant steps to uh, to you know to stop play at least with Chicago. Same thing happening in the NHL. Calgary had three games postponed due to a outbreak and the likelihood that that outbreak will get larger. And Carolina Hurricane star Sebastian Ajo. Teammate Seth Jarvis are in protocols and quarantine in Vancouver after entering protocols while in Canada. That means they can't even leave the country. They're quarantining there. Obviously, that means they are out local angle for the showdown against the Wild tonight. Um, so that's a you know, big game coming up between two of the best teams in the league right now and one of the best players in that matchup, Sebastian Ajo, will not be able to play because he is in the COVID protocols. The NFL, though, is the big one, reporting 37 positive cases on Monday alone. And that's basically, I saw a stat that in a two-week period in late November, they had 72 um, positive cases. So basically one day almost had half the number that they had in two weeks. Um They've announced they're requiring coaches and other team personnel, not including players, to get a COVID booster by December 27th. That was an ESPN Adam Schefter report um, impacting on the field. Rams had four key players out because of uh, because of on the COVID list during Monday Night Football on uh, on Monday. Still did manage, however, to beat the Cardinals in a very important game for both teams. Uh Vikings, Alexander Madison is on the list now. They've had 17 players who have gone on the COVID list this year. Uh, looked at Sharp Football for a breakdown of teams. That's tied for the second most in the NFL. And if you remember earlier in the year, they were atop the list for the lowest vaccination rate in the NFL. Those two things are certainly not a coincidence. Certainly not a coincidence. Now, Pete Carroll 
the Seahawks coach was asked about kind of the uptick that we're seeing in the NFL and the complacent and whether complacency on the part of players is leading to it, you know, and, and team personnel as well. And this is what Pete Carroll, head coach of the Seahawks, had to say. He said, that's it. That's the whole issue worldwide. Worldwide, People get fatigued from it. We just can't. We can't let that happen. Even though everybody is human and you get worn down by the reminders, it's stressful when you have to be continually reminded and thoughtful of something that you wouldn't normally do. It wears on you, and we try to avoid it. We look for ways to get out of it. That's the conversation we hear all the time. That's the national clamor. It's about being diligent. Later on, he said, stop griping about it. Stop griping about being healthy and helping other people be healthy. I don't get that. That's beyond me. It's so far away from personal rights. I don't get it. It's constant as anything we've ever been around. We just have to do a good job. I've got to do better. I have to remind guys more. And that's just it, right? We're we're doing way more stuff this time uh at this time of year in 2021 than we were a year ago. But with that can't come complacency. It doesn't mean we don't live our lives, but it does mean that COVID's not over. Um and and if you needed a reminder um aside from your own life, uh just look at sports. Every single league right now is being impacted by it in a big way. And it doesn't figure to get better before it gets worse again. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. It's film review time. Andrew Kramer joins me as he does every week here on Daily Delivery. does a great job covering the Vikings, writing about the Vikings for the Star Tribune, does a film review, too, that you can find in print and on startribune.com. Andrew, it's been a few days. Um, the film on Vikings-Steelers is certainly a, a tale of two halves, and almost, you know, for Kirk Cousins, it was almost like a, a tale of two quarterbacks, um, you know, some some really big-time throws, but also some really, you know, bad decisions and bad throws that that helped you know, first, you know, get the Vikings out to a 29 nothing lead and then help Pittsburgh get back in that game to the point that they almost tied it in the end. As you as you think back and look back at that game, and maybe we'll get a little bit to spinning things forward here in a little bit, but as you think back to that game and rewatching some of what happened, what what did you see from from Cousins in particular? Yeah, I thought it was it was one of the more um Jekyll and Hyde performances, I guess, that we've seen from Kirk this season, because we've seen him before, certainly in his four years here. But um, what's been good about him in 2021 is he's kind of even that out where he's been more of the consistent guy who's kept them in games. And while he's had the check down moments, he hasn't made those backbreaking mistakes when he turns the ball over like he did in the second half against Pittsburgh twice, one of which was was his fault, one being Osborne's fault, stopping on a slant route. But Pittsburgh ends up scoring, I believe, off both of those turnovers. And that, yeah, directly helps them get back into that game. Um, and it's a complete momentum changer. And it, it uh, certainly falls on Kirk to throw that slant route um, for that first interception. The second one, he just forces it to Jefferson. And what was his second read? He kind of ends up progressing around. And so these are the kind of mistakes that he doesn't always make. And you've seen him be streaky. And when he makes them, they can come in bunches like they seem to have uh, against Pittsburgh in that second half. Um, and Kirk, after the game, had mentioned that he was proud of the way they ran the ball, the offensive line blocking and opening holes. 
Uh, he didn't say a whole lot about their passing game. And I think it's just because of how erratic he was, uh, Mike, because we saw him in the, in the first half, just miss some throws, sail him over some guys. Um, and then we also saw him just throw some ropes like that 63 yard touchdown to Osborne was an incredible throw. Uh, he had one to Jefferson at the goal line on a post route, a deep throw, 20, 30 yarder. That was a great throw as well. Um, we see, we see those moments again. And so it's concerning as you talked about spinning it forward, it was concerning going into a game now against Chicago on Monday night, um, where, where things can go awry, but a big reason why that game was not just totally salted away was because of Kirk and, and him being kind of inconsistent the way he was against Pittsburgh. Now, I believe both of those interceptions came under what pro football focus deemed pressure and his, his numbers under pressure this year have been okay. And he hasn't been pressured. Um, you know, it's been kind of an up and down year in terms of how much he's been pressured, but in that game, I think you and I were talking before the segment started, they had him, not completing a single pass in 11 pressured attempts and both of those picks coming under pressure, which is about it. it, I don't think you can't get much worse than that. No, you can't. Yeah. They PFF had him officially 0 for 11 with two interceptions under pressure against the Steelers. And that just doesn't happen. It has, it hasn't happened to Kirk this year because he's actually been pretty good under pressure um, in his fourth year here. And, And what's really been one of his best years in the NFL as a starter and so that was troubling when you look and see too that you, you dig deeper and you see some of these plays. I went back and watched the game and um, some of them are just quarterback driven pressures. They are quarterback created him holding onto the ball, him not getting the ball out and reading things as quickly as he should have. Um, Pittsburgh isn't at least on, on Thursday night, they weren't the kind of team that was disguising a whole ton of stuff. They do blitz and they were bringing some five man pressures, but in terms of the secondary that, that interception that he was targeting Jefferson on, uh, it was a cover three. And, and um, the play action brought up the linebackers. It stretched the zones just as it was supposed to do. And it created a wide open middle of the field. And instead, Cousins looks past his first read, which is Osborne uh, streaking wide open in the middle of the field and looks over to Jefferson who's coming open on the backside. But the problem is the linebackers had already reacted at that moment by the time he decides to get to his second read. And they had dropped back underneath Jefferson. That leads to the tip pass. That leads to the interception. Those are the kind of things that with Kirk, you cannot have. And under pressure, that should not have been a pressure. If he would have thrown it to Osborne on his first read, that stunt is not getting to him in time. And that is probably counting as a clean completion as opposed to a pressured interception. And that's how that falls onto Kirk. And so to me, you can't have those kind of moments, um, certainly when you're winning that kind of game like that. And now as you go into a divisional game uh, against Chicago. Before we pivot to Chicago, let's talk about the defense a little bit in the in that game too, because then they're pitching a shutout into the third quarter against uh, you know against the Steelers. And then all of a sudden, you know, obviously some of those turnovers have something to do with it, but sound like schematically Pittsburgh was running a little bit more run pass option, kind of went to a different style to get Roethlisberger. Roethlisberger was pressured a lot in that first half and was was getting taken down by some you know some heavy you know blitzing and other you know, other other. Uh, pressure from the Vikings. Did you notice anything there in terms of just, was it momentum? I don't think Zimmer was thrilled with the way his corners played in that game either. It didn't sound like. Yeah. I think a lot of it had to do with, with that secondary Um, because in the second half, when they built that lead Zimmer's calls, he did back off a little bit. You didn't see them. Zimmer said he tried to stay aggressive in a lot of things, but when you're up 29, nothing, I mean, you're just trying not to get beat with the big play, right? If if you're going to let an opponent march down the field, so be it. 
That's going to, you're going to make them take 10 minutes to do it or whatever. And so I think that's the approach they tried to take. But the problem was you were still getting beat deep on some of these things where Bashar Breland, DPI, um, Dantzler had one in the end zone. Boyd got beat a couple of times deep. You're rotating three corners because Bashad Breland mysteriously is vomiting in, in the sideline sick after he intercepts Roethlisberger in that third quarter and, and seemed fine. And Mike Zimmer said he wasn't sick after the game, but yet they had no explanation for what was going on with him. So that leads to Boyd going in, him getting beat, him getting pulled, Dantzler going in, him getting beat, him getting pulled, and just that rotation kind of going. And that in the second half against Deontay Johnson, Ben Roethlisberger, I mean, that was enough. And I I don't think, I didn't actually dial up the, or type up the numbers and see kind of what the actual uh, trends were. But I don't think Zimmer blitzed as much in that second half as he had that first half. And we saw the results again kind of when they backed off against Detroit, what happened. Um, that kind of happened against Pittsburgh, too. Teams can pick them apart on the back end. And it's basically just throw it whichever corner is not Patrick Peterson. And they did send five on that last play of the game, right, if I'm not mistaken? It felt like they yeah. sent uh, an extra rusher and tried to at least not live the same mistake they made against Detroit. Exactly. Yeah. So they have, they did have moments there. And in general, I think in the game overall, they blitzed certainly a lot more with Barr and Kendricks back in the game. And that changes so much of it. Like in that first half, they were getting after Roethlisberger because it was those classic double A gap looks with, with Kendricks and Barr over center that they've been doing for years here. And you would think that Steelers offensive line, I know they had to make a change because they had an injury, but you would think they would understand how to pick that stuff up, but it was routine where they would show both of those guys blitzing. One of them would come based on how the center would turn and the running back would fail to pick it up and boom, Roethlisberger goes down. And so I think having those guys back made a big difference. And it certainly seemed like it enabled uh, Zimmer to kind of get after Roethlisberger, who's just a statue at this yes. point of his career. So it, that certainly makes it easier too. Like we said, let's spin it forward a little bit. Chicago played Green Bay on Sunday night this past week um, had a little bit of success early defending the Packers obviously didn't have a lot of success late when Green Bay figured, finished with 45 points although I think one of those was a defensive touchdown anyway um, if the Viking you know Vikings game plan wise going into this game you figure it looked like what Green Bay at least what you were telling me uh, before the segment started Green Bay was having the most success just getting the ball out quickly as opposed to trying to hit things down the field that seems like it plays reasonably well into the Vikings strengths but it also kind of puts the onus on Kirk Cousins to have to make the right decisions in this game yeah I do wonder that what the what the Vikings did against the Steelers and this worked especially well after TJ Watt went out you know as it does but they played max protect and took some shots and and you saw that on the Osborne touchdown um, that worked with some of their other big plays against Pittsburgh. And obviously they ran the ball really well, 200 yards rushing. So Chicago's going to come into this thinking, you know, let's just load the box and try to do some of the same stuff, trying to take that away. And I think the Vikings in the past have done this well, where uh, Kirk Cousins now is one and four against Chicago. So it, not a lot has gone well against Chicago, but that one win came last year at Soldier Field and it was Gary Kubiak calling the plays at the time. And what they put together was a plan that said, I don't care that you're going to stack the box. We're going to spread it out, try to spread you out, and then just quick throw it. Now, Green Bay still did their runs, still did their play actions, but they were still getting the ball out quickly. And so there is a blend you can kind of get in there where every play action doesn't need to be a seven-step or bootleg or this long developing play. 
So I do think the Vikings have a way to beat Chicago. And after watching Green Bay do what they just did uh, against the Bears, that should that should make Clint Kubiak and the Vikings very happy because they have the weapons, they have the personnel, they have the playbook to do very similar stuff against them. And they can even do it differently like they did last year where they went more shotgun spread and just kind of picked them apart with Thielen and Jefferson. And so if Thielen can come back from this ankle injury, I think that would really help them out and, and kind of pick apart that defense because Chicago's defense is down Khalil Mack. They're down Akeem Hicks. Uh, Roquan Smith left that game against Green Bay with a hamstring injury. Those are their best players up front. And so if Chicago doesn't have those guys, Dalvin Cook is going to probably be able to pick up four or five yards of pop. And that's going to let you do whatever you want in the passing game. And outside of Jalen Johnson, the Bears don't really have any kind of secondary member that can cover well. Well, it'll be a chance for the Vikings to get back to 500 again. I feel like they've, they've gotten to that magic mark a few times this season, but they've never been able to climb over it. And if they're going to make the playoffs, they're going to need to get over that hump at some point this season. And uh, I, just, I wrote about this today, just like that loss of the Lions, when you look at the playoff picture right now, you look at just kind of the scenarios and wins and losses here, there, man, that loss against the Lions hurts so much. It really does. And the, the sad thing is that it's like, like you said, they're still in it. They still have everything right in front of them. You've got that game, obviously, against the Rams at home after this one. And then you play the Packers. So it's not easy, but you could stumble into a nine and eight seventh seed. And it just doesn't seem that far away. But you're right. If, if you would have just beaten the uh, previously winless Detroit Lions uh, on the road, you would be in such a prettier spot. Yeah, you probably would only have to beat the Bears twice, which, you know, again, for them is uh, is no easy picnic. But first one coming Monday night next week. Andrew, good stuff. We'll see you again next week. Thanks, Mike. Now, those numbers for Cousins under pressure were alarming, and they fly in the face of what was going well for him not all that long ago. Wins over the Chargers and the Packers earlier this year where the Vikings got to 5-5. Five and five. Cousins was 19 of 30 for 279 yards and two touchdowns under pressure. In that two-week span, the 279 yards under pressure were almost 100 more than any other quarterback. So basically this year, when Kirk Cousins has played well under pressure, the Vikings have won. When he's played poorly, the Vikings have generally lost. Now they got away with one against Pittsburgh. I don't think they're going to win many games when he goes 0 for 11 with two interceptions while pressured. But um, basically... You see, you saw a different Kirk Cousins in that Steelers game, and they need the other Kirk Cousins to return if they're going to have any chance of making the postseason down the stretch. My least favorite team is my favorite team. Sometimes in the same game, they are that. Um, the Vikings, I talk about that every week with Keith Rashad. He wrote a book of that same title several years ago. Probably needs some updating, but you guys should go read it anyway if you can find it on the internet my least favorite team is my favorite team i'm told that um your poetry is back for another week and that this week it is a hybrid maybe because last week felt like a win and a loss you have three limericks and a haiku to get us through the recap of that 36 to 28 win over the steelers is that correct sir that is correct. Uh, I've also written other books as well, too, but they're not about the Vikings. So, you know, uh, depending on that was your it was your it was your first book and probably the one that's most germane to our current audience right now. Yeah, Maybe. I know. I, I just um, 
I don't know why I felt like I need to say that as if this one single (laughs) stupid book will define my life for the rest of eternity. As a scholar, you have written more scholarly works, although you've probably not. Most of those don't involve, you know, really impassioned, bitter things about the Packers and Saints. So, you know, whatever. Right. And and of course, at at the deepest depths of my soul, I'm a poet. So you are a poet. So let me start with the poetry as well. Let's start with the poetry. Someday you'll probably publish a book of Vikings limericks. So we'll we'll see about that. But uh, what's you want to start with a Pulitzer Prize winning book of Vikings limericks? Are you going to start with the limericks or the haiku? The haiku is for last. Okay, got it. So we'll do the limericks here first. Well, that well that makes sense then. All right, uh, first first one. Okay. I've watched this team do it again and again. Drop passes, miss field goals, and too many men. Although they got lucky this day, it was much to my dismay. They had so much trouble killing off the corpse of Big Ben. <laughs> they did. They did. What That game was just... I've talked about this a couple times already on different episodes, but like, I don't get... Well, let's recount it one more time. Well, I don't listeners. get the feel... You you probably never hardly ever get this feeling either, but I very rarely get a feeling during a Vikings game that they have a game under control, right? Like you're always like, ah, something could happen. Something weird might happen here. But when they were up like 26, 29, nothing in the third quarter of that game and Pittsburgh just looked so bad, I did not see a single way that that game was going to come down to the final play. Maybe you felt differently, but I, I thought, for like one of the very first times in my Vikings viewing Vikings viewing history, that that game was over in the third quarter. Well, a couple things to say about it. the first thing: a little bit of editorializing. We don't need to get too far into this, but uh, Thursday night football is cruel and stupid. Uh, football itself is cruel and stupid, but to make them do it then four days later after their their previous game is just not right, and it's not good. And if you're going to do it, they should extend the week, the, the season by one more week, and give everybody a bye week before their Thursday night game. That is what they should do to if they want actual decent games out of this process, right? A second bye week for everybody that they get before their Thursday night game. All right, so that's one thing to say. Football, stupid, cruel. Okay. Another thing to say is... Uh, <laughs> There have been times when I've gotten the feeling, I mean, it depends on the year, right? Yeah. Uh, certain years, you, you feel comfortable going into a game. You know they're going to win this game. This is not that year. It has not been that year for a long time now, right? And, and maybe what was it, 2017, when they had the miracle 13-3 uh, and three season and they were looking pretty good and, and that could have been the last time when I, when I remember feeling comfortable, right? But you are correct. If you're up by 29 points relatively deep into the third quarter, that is one of those times when you should be uh, allowed to turn the football game off or turn your attention elsewhere and not worry about what's going to happen for the rest of the stupid game. And so then you get this poor Pittsburgh team that does not look good, does not look like they want to be there, knows that their quarterback has hung on for at least two years too long, uh, and they're just not looking good, yet can somehow not find a way to finish off this team that was begging, begging to just go home. It's been the, the corpse of Big Ben Roethlisberger. Corpse of Big Ben. Yeah. Ice is from the grave to almost win that stupid game. And it was just just everything that's wrong about this team yet again. 
it looked like a like like a third preseason game where one team really wanted to play their starters longer than the other, and they were just like, it was just like the, the holes they were opening for Dalvin Cook in the first half were just ridiculous. Like he wasn't he was going untouched for like the first fifteen or twenty yards on some of those runs, and they couldn't protect Ben Roethlisberger, who's always been somewhat statuesque, but at least when he was younger, would have people bounce off of him instead of just toppling him to the ground. Um, you know, like, uh, <laughs> like a statue, let's just say that. And, uh, so it just was, it was, it was terrible looking football on Pittsburgh's part. It's just like the combination of how good the Vikings looked and how bad Pittsburgh looked. I was stunned, even though I shouldn't have been that that became a game, but okay. Let's hear Limerick number two. All right. Number two. I don't want to sound like a jerk, but I wouldn't exactly call it a perk. Somehow the offense was stale. As typical, the defense was a fail. Still, this was the this was this year's first game that they won with bad Kirk. Yeah, it was bad Kirk. Andrew and I talked about that on the film review a little bit ago, but he was, I think overall, what he's like 14 for 31 or something, and pro football focus had him 0 of 11 with two interceptions when he was pressured in that game. 0 for 11 with two interceptions. And generally this year, he's been decent to pretty good under pressure. And in some of the games they won after the bye, he was very good when under pressure. This, however, was not one of those games. He just was kind of off on a lot of his passes all night. He and Justin Jefferson could have had a 200-yard connection for that whole game, but there's some passes just a little bit off, off his fingertips. They just was, they connected on a couple things, but it could have been a lot more in that game. Well, and so in one sense, maybe it gives you something to think about, right? Because it's hard to imagine with this year's team and this year's defense that they would be able to win any games with the bad Kirk, right? And so the fact that they were able to get one is maybe some level of encouragement, but it also took uh, Pittsburgh based uh, allowing Dalvin Cook to run untouched for 150 of his 205 yards, yeah. right? Uh, and by the way, I'm not so sure he should have been playing. And what does that guy's body feel like right now? And was it going to feel like 15 years from now? But whatever. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> it, it, so in one sense, maybe there's a little bit of hope that the rest of the team can have some success in these situations. But uh, it doesn't really feel that way because they usually don't win when it's bad Kirk as of late. And the other part is it's just sort of weird how this almost feels like the reverse of last year where he started off so poorly and then got better and better. It seemed as the season went along and had success later in the season. And this year he started off red hot and now it has been kind of downhill for the last few weeks or so. Yeah, since since that Packers game, it's been a little dicey with him. He's made some poor throws, poor decisions. The two interceptions in the second half against Pittsburgh certainly fueled that comeback. And there's no way I don't think that they can go uh what do they need to go 3 and 1, I would think in these last four games um if they have multiple bad Kirk games in that mix. I think they could probably beat the bears in one of those games with the bad Kirk game. Cause the bears are just that bad, but they, they can't beat the Rams or the Packers with the bad Kirk game. He's not really doing a lot to help his uh, reputation for not getting it done in the clutch here. Primetime 
primetime Kirk has not been great. All he did that does go down as a win in primetime over a team with a winning record because Pittsburgh came in at six, five, and one somehow. I don't know how that team had a winning record. Well, okay. neither do I. Limerick number three. All right, number three. In the first half, they played like heartthrobs. In the second half, they played like smelly slobs. And while it might seem quite hateful, I really am quite grateful. There's only four games left in Rick and Zim's jobs. Oh, okay. Bold. It's bold. What if they make the, what if they make the playoffs, though? I, I'm, you know. Yes. What if they make the playoffs? I don't know. You're, I think it, it does. Feel, I mean, if they would have lost that game, uh, you could have seen the Wilfs just like sprinting down from the elevator and, and doing it right then and there. Um, see, it's very, it's, it's unlikely they make the playoffs this year. And even if they do, I don't know if that is guaranteed to save jobs. But I think your larger point is that you're just kind of done with this kind of arrangement that they have right now that the, they, they've had enough time to get this thing going. And if the peak was 2017, where they had a lot of things go their way and got to the NFC title game, it's not a terrible peak, but it's, it's maybe time to move on. Well, I might have mentioned it in a previous segment that I kind of sort of think it might be time to move on. But again, you've got your overpaid defensive coordinator who finally decided to sit down with his quarterback after four years this year. Right. You've got your your GM who hoards his seventh round draft picks, yet uh, is unsuccessful with the picks that he makes. And, you know, name the last first round pick that was actually that he actually made that was good because we can all point to Justin Jefferson. We all love Justin Jefferson. But as I recall, he was one of what was a category of four wide receivers that year that people thought were first round talents. And he was the fourth one picked of that four. So he fell to them, right? And giving Rick Zimmer credit for picking the one receiver that fell to him is maybe a little, you know, iffy. You just said Rick, you just said Rick Zimmer. Did I say Rick Zimmer? You did. That's That's because the two of them, you smash the two, you smash the two of them together, which is fine. They're, they're a package deal. I think in this one way or the other, all I'm saying is I'm not sure, you know, we're in an effort to try to be, fair or generous or balanced or what have you. A lot of people say, well, you know, he did, uh, Rick did pick uh, um, Justin Jefferson, but did he really, right? When that was his only option when he really needed a wide receiver. And so you look at the rest of the first round pick failures and the lack of depth with this team, none of it, you can't justify bringing them back again. Even if they sneak into the playoffs, there's nobody on planet earth who thinks that they can make even much of a run and so once they get destroyed or get eliminated in some typically painful fashion, then you, it is hard to see things improving or getting better or either one of those guys correcting the issues that they have demonstrated that they have to this point. I agree with that. He's done much better in the second round, by the way, with guys like Dalvin Cook and your guy, Aaron Hendricks. Yes. <laughs> Jimmy Hendricks. Yes. Eric Kendricks, for those who might not have listened to that episode. Okay. Last one. Haiku. I'm, I'm really excited for this one. Okay. Hate is a strong word and yet so appropriate for Vikings football. Yeah. It's, I, 
I did the standings after the game. I have them at four, five, two, and two this season. They had the four four wins that basically took a decade off your life, including the one on Thursday night. Five losses that almost killed you. Um, two solid wins over Seattle and the Chargers, and two kind of run of the mill losses to uh, Cleveland and San Francisco. So nine of the 13 games this season have been just agony one way or the other. Under, under that math, I died three years ago. Sorry. Spoiler, spoiler alert. You've been dead for three years. It's, uh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. But you're right. It's, it's, this year has been the most Vikings of Vikings years that I can really think of. It, has it not? I mean, I, I'm hard-pressed. Even like 2010 when things were just weird all the time and things were just falling apart. Like they were just, they were always just falling apart that you could feel it from the beginning. This has just been one of those years that's been perpetually up and down, up and down and all these games going down to the wire. It's uh, I don't know. It's, it's very Vikings this year. I couldn't agree more. This team is maddeningly frustrating. And this year has been the epitome of, of everything that they have ever been to this point. But pain brings out great art, which is why it's drawn out this poetry from you. I'm, I have the soul of a poet. That Rams win on Monday Night Football, by the way, hurt the Vikings' playoff chances. Vikings would have had a chance to maybe catch the Rams as one of those final wild card spots, but now the Rams looking pretty good in their uh, their pursuit of the playoffs. That said, Give uh, give the Vikings three wins in their next four games, and the, their playoff odds are right around three in every four times they make it. Give them two wins in those in that span; those odds drop down to about nine percent. So there you go. That's that's the that's the difference between two and two and three and one down the stretch. And shows as I wrote Monday on StarTribune.com just how damaging some of those losses were earlier this season, particularly that one just nine days ago against the the previously winless Lions. Had they won that game, good chance all they have to do is beat the Bears twice. The Bears look awful right now, and they would have made the playoffs. As it stands right now, going to have to beat those Bears twice and win against either the Rams or the Packers. No easy feat, particularly after watching what Aaron Donald did to the Cardinals on Monday Night Football. That'll do it for today. Randy Johnson will be on with me on Wednesday show to talk college football, Gophers recruiting. Signing day is Wednesday. Expecting Sarah McClellan on Thursday show to talk wild. So good stuff coming up later this week. Have a great rest of your day. We'll be back at it on Wednesday.